Good morning. I don't know about anybody else, but this is the kind of January weather I can handle. So, welcome everyone this morning to church here at First Church. It's glad to see you. Uh, we also welcome this morning Miss Lily Bradigan uh, for sharing with us this morning. Uh, this morning also we are going to get to hear Troy, Tori Bradigan uh, from the pulpit this morning. As all of you know, uh, Pastor Joel and Allie are now the proud parents of Miles Edward Buckland, who arrived last Wednesday. Pastor Joel will be back with us next Sunday. Also celebrating babies are the Herod and I hope I do this right, Riccardi families. Jim and Lois, congratulations on two additional granddaughters. One arrived in October and another this month. So Pastor Joel's Sunday school class will take place today as usual. And one other announcement, there is a planning meeting for Wonderful Wednesdays tomorrow evening on Monday night in the conference room at 6.30. Everyone's encouraged to come and see what areas you might be able to serve and share your gifts. We'll start the service this morning with our call to worship. I would ask you to stand and join me. Uh, The call to worship this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Merciful God, you call us to follow, to turn away from our selfish interest, and to take up our cross and follow after you. Even if the path is difficult to see or is heading in a direction you would never have chosen for ourselves. Forgive us dreams of which we question, and so hesitant to follow. Help us to see with the eyes of faith, rather than from our own human point of view. Teach us to follow without fear, knowing that you are always with us, leading the way. Amen. Now we will continue to stand and sing our opening hymn, number 376, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. invite the children to come forward for children's chat with Mrs. Lammers, and as they do that, we should turn and greet our neighbors. Okay. Good morning, guys. Good morning. How are you? You're as bright as the sunshine. Are you good at guessing the price of things, the cost of things? You want to have a little contest? Yeah. Okay. Okay, you come over here and be my Vanna White. Okay, I'm going to give you something to hold. Okay. Now, you hold this up. What is it? 
M&M's. A pretty good package, isn't it? Okay. Uh, what do you think it costs? No. I think I can buy it for three quarters closer. Not quite. There. How about two pennies? Can I buy it for two? Five quarters? Oh, that's more than a dollar. Two pennies won't do it? Oh. One quarter? Will one quarter really do it? No. How about two quarters? Well, you're closer with the dollars. It's about 69 cents. 69 cents. About almost three quarters. Almost three quarters. Okay. Now let's guess what this costs. What is that? No, you can't. <laughs> what do you guess? Fifty cents. Will that will that really buy it? You think it's a dollar, Evan? Evan's right. Evan gets the car. Woohoo! All right. Now, what does it cost to belong to Jesus? Can I buy that for two quarters? No. Can I buy it for a dollar? No. Can I buy it for two dollars? Can I buy it for five dollars? Nothing. Nothing? It won't cost me anything? It's in my heart. When did you guys get so smart? Huh? School? Mom and dad, maybe? Must have a good teachers over there, huh? Well, you're right. We wouldn't even have enough money to buy, to belong to Jesus, would we? There just isn't enough money out there to do that. So what do we have to do to belong to Jesus? Does he want just just our heart or all of us? All of you. That's right. And I lost my brains. Okay. Oh, there they are. I'm sitting on them. <clears throat> okay. Jesus said we need to give our whole lives to him. That's everything. To belong to him. We can't buy him for two quarters. We can't buy him for a thousand dollars. Because he's paid everything. How did he pay it? He died on the cross for us, didn't he? He don't know. You had an idea, though. But following Jesus is more than just just sitting there and saying, I believe in Jesus. It means loving Jesus and other people. It means learning how Jesus wants us to live from reading the Bible, being come rooted in his word, learning and learning. And you know there's people out there, and I am too, still learning as old as we get. So you never stop learning about him and how he wants us to follow him and telling other people about his love, sharing that with other people. Coming to church and Sunday school and worshiping him and singing all of his praises, saying our prayers, listening to what God has to tell us, and sharing our gifts to other people so we can serve everybody that we come in contact with. Now, is to live like Jesus easy? No, it's hard. It can be really hard someday, can it? His disciples want us to drop everything to follow him. Just like when he called his disciples. They were fishing and they dropped their nets and their fishing gear and they followed Jesus. They gave their whole lives to Jesus. That's the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. So it can be really tough, but there's a lot of you here that can help each other through that journey. Okay, you guys did really awesome today. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, help us to give our whole lives to you. We know that following Jesus will be hard. Sometimes we know that you will keep us in your, sometimes, but sometimes, but we know for sure that you will keep us in your love and help us to make our life a wonderful and exciting adventure. Help us to follow you, whatever the cost. Amen. Thank you.
killed this week in an Apache helicopter crash in Fort Irwin, California. First Lieutenant Clayton R. Cullen, 25, from Bicknell, Indiana, and Chief Warrant Officer Second, Kevin F. Burke, 28, from California. Thank you, Jay. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for gathering us here in this place. Thank you um, just for your love, Lord, and for the way that you guide us and lead us in relationship with you. God, we pray for our soldiers uh, who are fighting for our country around the world. We pray that you would be with them, be with their families as they're away, and be with the families that have lost loved ones, Lord. God, we thank you for the new lives that have begun this week in our church. We thank you uh, for the moms and the dads um, and for the love that they're pouring out on those little ones. God, we thank you that you hear all of our requests. We thank you that we know um, there are a lot of people on our cares and concerns list, Lord, but you know exactly what they need. And you know exactly what we need, Lord, before we even say it. And we thank you that you are a God who listens. God, we pray for our offering this morning. We pray that uh, you would use it for your glory, Lord, um, and that people's lives would be touched by it. Lord, we ask that you would open our minds this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts for what you have for us, Lord. Even though the cost of following you is very high, Lord, you still lead us and you guide us, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that this morning that you would be with us as we learn about you, as we learn about what it means to be your disciple um, and to follow you through anything. We thank you for the awesome children's chat that Carolyn did this morning um, and what it means to really follow you. God, we pray that you would reveal that to us this morning as we worship you um, and as we gather together. We love you so much and we thank you for this time. Amen. This morning's offering is for the Auglaise County Group Home um, in the Auglaise County Crisis Center. So I invite the ushers to come forward um, as we uh, collect this morning's offering, and the choir will bless us with some music.
please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Please remain standing and join us in singing hymn number 349, Trust and Obey. Thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. God, I pray that you would be big and I would be little this morning and that the things that we hear, that we would obey. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us, Lord. Amen. So we've just come off of our annual meeting, and I love annual meetings, not necessarily the meeting part, but I love the, the ideas that are shared and the dreams and the visions that are shared and the things that we talked about for First Church and the mission and the vision that God is calling us to live into as a church. 
But in order to do any of those things, there has to be commitment. Commitment not only just from the staff side of things, but also from the church body itself. We all have to commit to the mission and the vision that God has given us for First Church. It's exciting. It's really, really exciting, but it's also kind of difficult because commitment is hard. We've just entered into this new year, and with new year comes all of the new year things, the resolutions, you know, the new year, new me in 2018, whatever it is. Um, and I'm sure that there's many of you here that have, have set New Year's resolutions for yourself, and I know I have as well. Um, but I, I have a love-dislike relationship with New Year's resolutions. I love the idea of them. But in reality, I know I never end up crushing the goals that I set for myself. And I recently read an article that says that New Year's resolutions don't often work, not because they're too lofty of a goal. You know, losing weight and getting healthy is one of the um, number one New Year's resolutions. And that's not a lofty goal at all. And I'm sure that we've set that for ourselves over and over again. And whether or not we've reached that is up to us. But... Um, I know that I make those every year, and that the goal is not lofty, but because it's a year-long goal, our commitment goes up and down, right? We're really committed on January 1, we're buying the vegetables in the grocery store, and then March rolls around and you realize maybe I've eaten out a little too much, or maybe I've had one too many bags of chips, and then bathing suit season comes, and you're like, okay, vegetables again, here we go, and then the holidays come, and that just goes out the window. But losing weight or committing to any goal or New Year's resolution takes commitment. And we can't expect to truly crush any of the goals that we set for ourselves if we're not actively working on them, if we're not actively committing and recommitting to doing that. Commitment is hard, but it's a necessity. Commitment is especially necessary in our relationship with Christ. Jesus was all about commitment. He required it from his disciples, and he requires it from us now. See, when we say yes to following Jesus and we commit our lives to him, we become disciples of Christ. But it's our job to live into that commitment. It's our job to continually live into being a disciple of Christ. And the life that he's calling us to is a pretty radical life. It requires a lot on our part, but it's the best commitment that we will ever make. It's a daily commitment to act, to think, and to be more like Christ every single day. So how do we do that? How do we live into that commitment that he's calling us to? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, where we're going to be spending our time today, it's kind of a turning point in Jesus' ministry. We see Jesus preaching and teaching and doing, doing all of his things that he does, and it's almost as if it's just ministry as usual. For Jesus, he is doing, he's feeding the 5,000, he's doing all of this good stuff, and he has these followers that are with him. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is seen having three different conversations with the Pharisees, then the Sadducees, and then the disciples. And these conversations consist of Jesus slowly revealing who he is and his mission here on this earth. And it's a turning point in Jesus' ministry because people are starting to realize, whoa, this Jesus, he could be the real deal. Or some people are saying, wow, he's a really big whack job. But in all of these conversations Jesus ha- that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, the, and then the disciples, they keep missing the point. It's actually kind of comical how badly they are missing it. And then finally, Jesus turns to Peter, and he asks him a pointed question. He says, Peter, who do people say that I am? Who do people on the street say that I am? And Peter says, well, some people, some people say that you're John the Baptist. And then you got a group over here that says you're Elijah. And then you got Joe in the back over there, and he says that you're just a prophet. Jesus says, okay, hmm. Well, Peter, who do you say that I am? What do you believe about me? And Peter says, well, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And his declaration in Jesus being the Messiah, the son of the living God, is crucial. His admission and belief in that had to happen before he could commit to being a true disciple of Christ. Peter's declaration in Jesus being the son of the living God is huge at this moment. He's saying that he personally believes in Jesus as the son of God. It is only after that declaration that Jesus then turns to the disciples and says, okay, if you're like Peter over here and you believe that this is true and you believe that I am the Messiah, the son of the living God, then let's get to work. The call to discipleship in Matthew 16 comes only after Peter's confession in the Messiah. But Jesus revealed his identity and his purpose to the disciples, and he did that for two reasons. First, Jesus was letting his disciples know what's coming. He was saying that he will have to suffer and die as the Messiah in order to redeem the world. And he's already committed to that. He's already committed to that mission, and he knows it's coming. But the second part of it is that Jesus is also challenging his disciples to the next level of commitment. The religious leaders in this passage wanted a clear sign in order to commit to following him. They said, Jesus, if you just give us a sign, we will, we will be all aboard the Jesus train. We will follow you. It will be great. But they didn't get a sign because Jesus was not that kind of leader and he did not seek that kind of follower, the follower that would only follow him after they were given sign after sign. Jesus wanted followers that would commit completely commit through faith. His followers were to commit to denying themselves, to carrying their cross, and following Christ through anything. The cost of discipleship and being a follower of Christ is only worth it if we understand and confess that Jesus is the Messiah and then commit to following him. So Jesus is the Messiah that has come to redeem the world through the suffering on the cross and his resurrection. The magnitude of that mission comes at a cost for all of us. Jesus told this to the disciples to prepare them for what they must do daily in order to be a disciple of Christ. Thankfully, Jesus was and is our perfect example. And he not only modeled this, but he lived it out every single day. He lived out his commitment to the Father every single day. And this is not just a a once-in-a-while commitment when we feel like it, right? This is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year-for-the-rest-of-our-life type of commitment. It's big. So how do we do this? How do we follow the example of Christ and the, the first disciples and pick up our cross, deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him? Well, the first part of it is obedient denial. That sounds really fun, doesn't it? When I think of self-denial, I always think of a diet. Everything that you have to deny yourself of in order to lose weight and get healthy, I'm not very good at dieting. I'll just throw that out there. But in reality, it's difficult. And I know for myself that carrots and fruit, they don't always sound good. But chocolate? Chocolate always sounds good. But I know that if if I want to become healthier... I have to stay away from chocolate and junk food at the grocery store. That means that if I'm seriously committed to it, I have to avoid it. I have to not stock it in the pantry, even though I really want to. And I have to say no to it when it's sitting right in front of me. This is just one form of self-denial. But when Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, it's much more than just saying no to one piece of chocolate. The self-denial that Christ is calling us to as disciples to practice daily is the denying of the sinful self. It is the total denial of the sinful self, the worldly lust, the ungodliness, even friends and relationships that take our focus off of God. God is not just some cosmic killjoy that wants us to deny ourselves everything good in this world and be miserable. And I hope that you don't hear that. But he's asking us to deny ourselves the things that take the focus off of him. So that could mean that we have to deny ourselves good things. Chocolate is good. I'm sure that we can all agree with that. But if my body becomes so unhealthy that I can no longer serve God in the capacity that he's asking me to, then I have a problem. 
The reality is that it's extremely difficult to deny ourselves because our world does not understand that concept. Our world is so self-centered. If you stand in any line in, at, at the grocery store, I'm sure that you can find magazine after magazine that says, in 10 easy steps, you can improve your life. Or if you just do these three things, you can control your destiny. We all know that one's not true. Um, and now only God can control that. But the point still is the same, that we live in such a self-centered world that we think that we can improve and work on ourselves by just pouring into ourselves over and over and over again. But that's exactly what Christ calls us not to do. Christ calls his followers to deny themselves, to deny their comfort, to deny the things that they, that they want, that they know is going to take their focus off of God. We're called to deny ourselves and become self-sacrificing. To deny oneself means finally, once and for all, to dethrone self and enthrone God. To deny oneself means to obliterate self as the dominant principle of life and to make God the ruling principle and the passion of our lives. Self-denial is an act of obedience. Jesus isn't just asking the disciples to deny themselves for the sake of being miserable. He knows that it's through the self-denial of the sinful, the ungodly things that we have in our life that when we deny those things, we start to look and to act and to become more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an external glory, or an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So when Christ calls us to deny, to deny ourselves, oftentimes it's not easy. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth it. When Christians suffer, they too, like Paul, can take courage from the fact that their lives will mediate to others the power of the resurrection, either through God's deliverance or through the testimony or faithful endurance. That is exactly what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. Denial is difficult, and Paul gets that. And it's painful, and sometimes we just don't want to do it. But it's through the faithful endurance of denying ourselves to become more like Christ that we actually become more like our Savior. Now, self-denial looks different for everyone. For some, it might mean that you willingly give of your time. Maybe you have this time that you protect with everything that you have, and God is calling you to give that up and say, hey, why didn't why you plug into church? Why didn't you come and serve or plug into a Bible study and grow in that way? For others, it might mean waking up half an hour to an hour early, earlier in the morning to spend time growing in your personal relationship with God. For others, maybe it is something that you're putting in your body that you need to give up because that, the things that you're putting in your body is making it harder for you to serve Christ. Whatever the case is, we have to obediently and continually submit our will to God's will, even if that means it's going to cost us. The second step in this is to pick up our cross. And this is a hard one. The cross is not only the cruel instrument of Jesus' death and the symbol of the purpose for his incarnation, but it's also emblematic for us as followers of Christ. So not only does Jesus tell him, you got to deny yourself, but now you have to pick up your cross. And when Jesus told them to pick up their cross, the disciples knew exactly what that meant. Jesus wasn't telling them to just hang a cross necklace around their neck when they went out and did ministry. I don't have anything against cross necklaces, but that's not what he meant when he said, pick up your cross. He was telling them that in order to be his followers, they had to essentially live on death row for the rest of their lives. They had to be willing to die for him. The cross was and still is a death sentence. The cross was one of the most feared forms of execution in the early church. It was humiliating. It was painful. And if you were sent to death on a cross, that was meant to be an example. If you had a friend that went to the cross for death, you knew that you didn't want to do whatever they, do, they were doing because it was bad. When Jesus calls the disciples to pick up their cross, they know it's a call to be willing to die. 
Now, we might never be called to die for Christ here in New Knoxville, but the call is still the same regardless. Picking up our cross still means that we submit our entire will and our entire life to God. We must die to our own will to take up God's will. The cross is for Jesus and for those who follow him in discipleship. It is a metaphor for the Father's will for the disciple's life. It involves the negative of the denying of the sinful self and then the positive of taking up the cross, which is God's will for our life. And Jesus beautifully demonstrated this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, 39 through 44 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mountain of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, where he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, not, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and in his anguish he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knew that a brutal death was coming. He knew that he was going to have to go to the cross soon. And even in his deepest emotional turmoil that he'd ever been in, when he, to the point where he was sweating blood, he was still able to say, Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Jesus was asking the disciples and is now asking us if we're willing to be faithfully obedient to him as, a, as his disciples. Are we willing to obey him in the face of tragedy, in the face of hardship, or anything that life may bring to us, even in death? Are we willing to be obedient in submitting our plans and our control to him and declaring our trust in him? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, says in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, to endure the cross is not a tragedy. It is the suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. And thus it begins. The cross is not a terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. See, Jesus didn't have to go seeking out crosses to carry. They came to him. They came to him because he was faithfully obedient to the Father. And just like Jesus didn't have to go seek out crosses, we don't have to go seek out our own crosses. They will come to us when we are being obedient to Christ. Taking up our cross looks different from person to person. For some, it might be that Christ is calling you to deepen your commitment to him. Maybe he's calling you to reprioritize your life so it can be a look and be more like him. But maybe that's going to be painful to do. For others, maybe there's a relationship in your life that's just really difficult. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with one of your kids or a relationship with a coworker, one of your best friends. But for whatever reason, they are so hard to love. Could it be that your cross is to love that person faithfully no matter what the outcome for others, maybe there's a personal sin that you got going on. Maybe you've been carrying that cross for so long that you are getting so tired and it's time for you to seek help. It's time for you to reach out to someone saying, I can't carry this load by myself anymore. Regardless of what the cross, your crosses are, we all will have crosses to bear. I don't know if you've probably seen this movie. It's The Passion of the Christ, and I love this movie. It'll leave you in a puddle by the end of it, but it is such a good movie. And my favorite scene in this movie is when Jesus is getting ready to carry his cross up the hill. He is trying to carry that huge cross, and he, at this point he's been beaten, he is bloody, and he is exhausted. And this guy in the crowd sees Jesus, trying to hoof it up the hill to go to his death. And he, realize, he realizes, oh my goodness, he's not going to make it. He cannot carry this cross by himself. And so this guy steps out of the crowd, and as people move out of the way, and he leans down and grabs the cross and helps Jesus carry it the rest of the way. That is exactly what Jesus does for us when we have crosses that we are carrying. Jesus goes through whatever crowd it is, kneels down beside us and says, Hey, I got this. I got you. 
It's going to be okay. We'll carry this cross together. He does not leave us alone to walk with the weight of our own crosses. Not only does he help us carry our cross, but he walks with us as we endure the weight of it. Sometimes it is hard. But he carries it with us so that at the end of the day, we can still proclaim, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. The last part of this is to follow Christ and lose your life. Sounds really fun again, right? Jesus tells the disciples in verse 25, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So the call to discipleship is a costly invitation. It's going to cost you, but it comes with great reward. It comes with real transformation of our hearts, real life found in Christ. It's a journey. It's a journey that takes risk. It's a journey that doesn't, we don't always know what the outcomes are going to be. But that's okay, because Jesus, when he first called the disciples, he asked them to place their plans, their future, their loved ones, everything that they held dear in his hands. That means their plans, their futures, their loved ones, everything that they hold on to. It is the people who are, who are willing to bet their lives that there is a God and that following him is worth it, who in the end find their life. Risking everything for Christ is totally worth it. In reality, we are giving up the things that just give us an illusion of life. True life can only be found in Christ. So I'm a type A planner. I like to plan. I like to make sure everything goes according to plan and that nothing gets in, in the way of those plans. And when they do, it's just, it causes me anxiety. Um, and I struggle with the anxiety of not being in control of things. And in those moments where things just seem to be going completely haywire and I have no idea what's going on and how the plan got away from me, Christ always meets me. He always meets me and reminds me, hey, remember when you said you were going to place your trust in me? Well, you got to do that now, too. You can't just keep holding on to your plans. And when I do that, when I say, okay, God, you can have this. Take this, please. I'm able to actually live into the disciple that Christ is calling me to be. Yes, I still have the anxiety. Yes, I still want to plan. But I know when I recommit and commit those plans to him and my life to him that I'm able to live without all of the weight on me. I'm able to kind of take a breath and say, okay, God, you've got this. You see, if we're constantly trying to remain in control of the trajectory of our life, then we're essentially losing our life by focusing on everything we can keep here on earth. We're so worried about what we might have to lose that we end up holding on to everything with such a tight grip. And the reality is that what we lose is not really life. It is the self-satisfying, the half-life that sin offers. But God is extending this great gift of true life in him if we are willing to lose our life. When we obediently submit to God's will, we are putting our entire life in his hands. But in doing so, we gain life. We gain the full, the good, the God-honoring life that we were called to in the first place. We gain a life that we never would have imagined for ourselves. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come so they may have life, and they might have life to the full. See, Satan wants us to think that we have to protect our lives. Satan wants us to think that we have to have everything on this earth that the, earth, the world can offer us. And there are many good things that we want, right? We want families, houses, cars, all those things. Those are not bad things, but we can never find true life in those things. We owe ourselves and everything we have to Christ. There is nothing that we can give Christ in place of our lives. And we try. We really try. It is possible for us to give our money to Christ, but withhold our lives. It is possible for us to give lip service to Christ and withhold our lives. It is easy for us to do the Christian thing, but still keep our lives. 
The only possible gift that we can give to the church is ourselves. And the only possible gift that we can give to Christ is our whole life. There is no substitute. Nothing less than your entire life will do. And we could put all of our effort into being the best we could possibly be here on this earth. But in the end, we might miss the point. True life is not found in the people around you, your job, your security, or your kids. Those are great things, but they will never bring the true life that Jesus Christ is offering. You can only find that life, the life that truly fulfills when you're willing to lose your life for Christ. And it's totally possible for us to gain everything that we want from this life, but to wake up one morning and to realize I missed the point completely. And my prayer for you and for all of us is that we don't wake up one morning and and realize that we missed the point completely. If we're more concerned with following our own agenda instead of, instead of following Christ, we miss the point that, that he has for us. We miss the life that he is calling us to. See, God has an insane life called for you. Or for you. It is better than anything you'll ever plan for yourself, but it's going to cost you. Are you willing to lose your life for Christ? It's not going to be easy. But Jesus promises us that he'll be with us and that it's worth it. We're not going at it alone. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Being a disciple of Christ is hard. But living life as a disciple of Christ is totally worth it. Christ has overcome the world and everything in it. God is continually redeeming this world, even as we speak. But he needs you as his disciples. He needs us as his disciples to live out the gospel message, to be living that out every single day, no matter what the cost. Bonhoeffer says in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, that Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. And I would have to agree with that. Because Christ intentionally poured into the people around him so that when he was gone from this earth, that they would be able to carry the word from generation to generation. He intentionally equipped and helped them with their commitment to him. And he asked them to continually and obediently deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him daily. The awesome thing is that you are all equipped to do this. You are all equipped to live life as a disciple of Christ. You don't need any formal biblical training. You don't need to go to seminary to teach. You don't need to go through volunteer courses to volunteer for Christ. You just have to be committed and ready to do it. He has given you everything you need. He has given you his word. He has given you a body of people surrounding you and supporting you as you live this life out. But the real question for all of us is, are we willing to commit to being his disciple every single day? Or maybe you've already committed to that. Maybe you've already committed to being his disciples, but how can we continue to live that out every single day? Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the calling that you have received. See, Jesus is calling us to this radical life as a disciple of Christ. And it is far better than anything that we will ever plan for ourselves. But it's going to cost us. Are we willing to walk worthy of that calling? Are we willing to walk worthy of the gospel message that we are preaching and teaching to the people around us? Whether it's here at church or out in the world around us, are we willing to walk worthy of that call? My prayer is that we all take being a disciple of Christ seriously. The call to deny ourselves pick up our cross, and to follow him is something we continually have to do daily. It is through that commitment that we will find life, we will find purpose, and ultimately we will look, act, and become more like Christ and the people he is calling us to be and the church he is asking us to be. Amen. Please stand and sing hymn number 366, I Surrender All.
So to the fishermen, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. To the tax collector, Jesus said, follow me. To the rich man, Jesus said, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, follow me. To you and to me and to all of us, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Are you willing to follow him no matter what the cost, no matter what life will bring bring to you? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.